Thank you so much for your very kind introduction. I suppose I could add about myself one thing that was said right after I finished my doctoral work in Edinburgh. There were, I was walking across the Robson County Courthouse Square and there were some old men sitting near the statue of the Confederate soldier chewing and spitting tobacco and remarking on everybody that went by and I looked a lot younger then and one of them said, who's that boy? And another one said, that's Dr. Douglas Kelly. Said, he's not a doctor. Oh, yes, he is. But I've never seen him at the hospital. <laughs> he said, he's not that kind of doctor. He's one of them kind of doctors that can't do you no good. <laughs> so I've, uh, <laughs> that may be, there may be more truth in that than, <laughs> than I would like to let on. Anyway, it is uh, a joy to be with you. I've known of this church, and of course, uh, Archie Moore, since I guess he was maybe in his teens, and know his family very well in Dillon County, excellent and highly regarded Christian family. So it's been my privilege to have some connection with them a long way, continuing indeed into the present. And it's just good to be here with both ministers. <clears throat> now, I want to speak to you this morning on something that you will know very well about, although to know it as well as we do might not be to carry it out, which is why I'm preaching on prayer. So I shall ask you to, if you wish, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17, <clears throat> beginning to read in verse Eight. Then came Amalek, very hostile tribe of ancient days, and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, <clears throat> and his hands were 
steady until the going down of the sun. That's all day long. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And Moses, and the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Uh, nobody knows where the descendants of the Malachites are today. We can't find them. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Hebrew Jehovah Nissi, that is the Lord is my flag or the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, this is not a difficult passage to understand. I could take it in many passages in Old and New Testament that would be very complex and it would take a lot of explanation to get our heads around it. But this one is quite straightforward. Uh, there'd be few places in the Bible that show us any more clearly the connection between the upper realm, the heavenly realm, and what we're going through here on the earth. And this is one of those passages and it shows us that prayer is, as it were, the golden highway between heaven and earth and earth and heaven and that the blessings of God come rolling down that golden highway in answer to the prayers of God's people in the divine name provided for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the situation was this. <clears throat> the people of God were facing uh, strong enemies, the Amalekites. We read about them in other parts of the Old Testament. I could trace it through, but I'm not going to bother to do that. But uh, on, on this ladies, the book of Esther, some of the descendants of the Amalekites were trying to wipe out the Jews. So there was... Uh, hereditary hatred of the Amalekites towards God and towards his people. And they wanted to wipe out the people of God uh, if there was any possible way they'd give everything they could to do it. And I like to think, I'm sure this is my imagination at work, but uh, nothing really wrong with it, I think, of say a huge football stadium, I don't know, uh, Clemson, Death Valley, or Chapel Hill, Keenan Stadium, or whatever you've got, and uh, a team down at one end, and the opposing team at the other end, and then you have the, the president's box and the uh, TV people way up uh, in, in the top of the stands, filming and watching. And so there are these two opposing teams facing each other on the field. And uh, although we're not given a great deal of information here, I assume that the Israelites and the Amalekites may have been 
somewhat evenly matched, although we're not exactly told that. We do know that the Israelites certainly were under considerable pressure and that these enemies were their enemies and the enemies of God and they had to face them. And in this part of Exodus, they had the children of Israel had been doing reasonably well. God got them safely out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the blood. But then they were attacked. Sometimes it's like that in the Christian life. We don't always know why we may be at one particular juncture attacked. It, sometimes it's our fault and we, we know. Other times we don't know why. It's been allowed uh, the devil and some of his troops access to us to make things difficult at least for a while. And so it was that way with the children of Israel, these Amalekites, very hostile people, very well trained, apparently very well equipped, probably better equipped by far than the Israelites, and they attacked them. One of the old uh, Jewish historians, Josephus, who was living near the time of Christ, said that the only weapons the Israelites had at that time were weapons that had been washed up on the shore of the sea when the Lord let the water to the Red Sea cover the Egyptian armies and a lot of their equipment washed up on the strand. And so the children of Israel went down and got those uh, uh, those uh, pieces of military equipment and they had that. But that was evidently all they had. So the other crowd was better, better equipped. So they were, quote, outgunned, outmanned, and so forth. <laughs> but there was a difference. Now, here's, here's the difference. And this is the difference the church has now. They had prayer. They had an invisible weapon that could not be seen And yet it was the weapon that finally turned the tide, although it would be given no credit. I mean, you know, uh, even today, as far as I know, we're told about things happening in Ukraine and Russia and so forth and so on. I'm in and out of Ukraine from time to time, but <laughs> no newspapers go report the large number of prayer meetings that are going on in Ukraine, and there are a lot of them. Because the, I'm not criticizing the newspapers, they just wouldn't see the relevance of prayer, so they don't report it. But often that is a factor more than anything else that turns the tide. Now, of, let's say this. The children of Israel had to get on, out on the high places of the field. They had to fight. Prayer is extremely important. But it doesn't keep you and me from 
needing to fight when God calls us to it, from needing to struggle, from needing to stand up against powers that seem much greater than we are at the time, God lets us get in such situations. He doesn't leave us by ourselves. He will not let us be embarrassed if we will look to him. But God does not relieve you from struggling in your lives. I don't know hardly any of you personally, but some of you probably right now are struggling. I don't know what it is. But God is not leaving you to your own resources. He will not let you be embarrassed if you place your faith in him and say, Lord, I'm not much, but I am available. So take me and use me, Lord, here I am. And you will get through it. Now, it's very interesting how this worked. This is simple, and yet it requires faith to believe it. That when Moses was lifting up his hands like this, an attitude of prayer, I suppose it's like, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He's lifting up his hands, and all the while he's lifting up his hands, the invisible strength is coming down from the sanctuary above and blessing a people who were outgunned, outmanned, out-equipped, and they're winning. A struggle with ultimately stirred up by Satan. And then, uh, Moses is a human. He's not an angel. His arms get tired and he lets them down. And suddenly he realizes the situation, the tide of the battle is running in the other direction and the enemy starts winning as Moses lets down his hands of intercession The devil's troops are gaining the field once again. And so Aaron and her say, here's a rock. <clears throat> you sit on it. <clears throat> we'll hold up your hands in an attitude of prayer until the battle be won. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, some people might say, and, and guess where this really comes from, but might say, well now, aren't we being legalistic here? Does God really require that much praying? For that long a time to win a battle that's to his glory? Well, the answer to that is often he does. I, I, I don't know the ins and outs of the secret will of God and don't claim to. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those that are revealed unto us and our children that we may do them. 
But often God will have us to keep praying if he's going to give the victory. Why? Because he gets the glory. And then we can be trusted because we know where it came from. Otherwise, we can go proud. And pride goes before a fall. So God will keep us humble by requiring of us that we will pray to be given the help from above that comes from the Lord for whatever he would have us to accomplish. And so Moses' relatives held up his arms all that day as they were looking down from the I'm saying the top of the football stadium, I don't mean that, but from a hill down into the valley until they saw that the battle was won. Keep on fighting till the fight is done. Keep on fighting till the battle's won. That's God's word to us in all our lives. I certainly didn't come from a perfect family. I came from a Christian family in Lumberton, North Carolina. And um, I was taught to pray. Say they didn't do everything right. But they did pray and taught me to pray. And I've never had to face a day without knowing that I could pray to the Lord and he would be merciful and gracious in the name of Jesus and would extend his grace and would help me and help those for whom I was called on to pray. And that's exactly how it is now. There's nothing wrong with... Uh, having organization in the church, I mean, you got to have a certain amount or it will be disorganization. So it's fine. You got to have human activities or it'd be nothing. But it's got to be based on a spiritual life of prayer of talking to God, of receiving from God, of repenting, of believing, and of keeping coming back to the place where we get the help and the strength that is needed for the church to go forward. The church is one army that goes forward on its knees. I know my father was in the United States Army and drafted in World War II and went in on the D-Day landing in Normandy. I couldn't get him to talk about it very much. I asked a few questions and he'd sometimes say a little, but I couldn't get him to say too much. I wish I could have got him to say more. I know that the 
D-Day troops didn't go in literally on their knees, but I knew this much. My mother's talked about it, and my grandmother, uh, hometown of Lumberton, they all met at the largest church. There was, we were Presbyterian, but the largest church was First Baptist, and it held hundreds of people. And all day, the First Baptist of Lumberton was filled with the good people of Lumberton, particularly the women in there praying that God would protect and give victory to our people as they face the entrenched Nazis and the, they were coming off the boats and the skiffs and so forth uh, on the Normandy coast. And God, I believe, heard those prayers. And so God has set it up that for us to prevail, even in things that are right, takes a lot of prayer. Keep on praying till the battle's done. And then God gets the honor and the glory. I've been reading, and I don't know much about it, about uh, predictions, and this is some of the mainstream newspapers predictions that there'll be food shortages in the USA in just a few months ahead. I don't know if that's true or not. I hope not. But we may be in for very testing times, even in a wealthy, well-off country like United States of America, Canada, and, and that. England, Scotland, France, Germany, the, the, the privileged ones. We may find many churches filled with people on their knees praying for God to provide food and much else. I, I, I don't know that that would be exactly true, but I would not be surprised if we undergo times of testing where we have to look again to God and not just to our barns and garners and storage places. But God is faithful. God will never put on us any burden greater than we can bear. He will let things come on us that will drive us back to himself, that will drive us to prayer. And I believe, I don't know how he's going to do it, I believe he's going to do that. And we'll give him the praise. I think this, well, what about the future? Well, obviously I can't see the future, I don't know. I'm not very smart, but I'm smart enough not to predict the future, the immediate future. I know the long-term future is the book of Revelation, yes. Yes. But not the short-term future, I don't know. But I believe this. I believe God's church, particularly in the congregational prayer meeting, is 
shaping the future. What we'll be going through in a year, two years, three years, four years is largely going to depend on the praying of the churches right now. And we have this privilege, we have this divinely imparted power in the name of Jesus. To like Moses, Aaron, and her, and lift up holy hands in praying and belief and hearts of obedience and repentance. We can come to God and he will change it and he will make things profoundly different if we will trust in him for that. Amen. The Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our hymn of response is here. He will hold me fast. I know it. Well, at least I know the old tune. I don't know if it's a different tune or not. But uh, I was brought up on it. And whatever tune, let's uh, stand and sing it together. When I fear my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast.